Welcome to the Testimony Podcast, people of faith telling the stories that matter from their lives. I'm your host, Andrew Chamberlain, and I'm delighted that you can join us for this conversation. You can subscribe to the Testimony Podcast on all of the major podcast distributors and follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Testimony Podcast. My guest for this episode is the pastor and writer Scott Souls. Now Scott is the senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He is the author of six books, including the forthcoming Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, which is out on June 14th, 2022, just after this episode is released. In this episode, we talk about the closeness of Christ in times of difficulty and despair, how we can identify with him as the suffering servant. We talk about suffering and forsakenness and Christ's unique position as the saviour and messiah who knows these things for himself and therefore distinguishes himself from all other religions and faith leaders and anyone else in any other thought process or belief system or faith system. We discuss as well the wonder of life and our small corner as humanity in the universe, and how God has a purpose for the hard realities that we face, even as he gives us the emotional and spiritual tools to help us process those things that we go through. This was a very encouraging conversation for me, full of wisdom and truth. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here it is. Scott, welcome to the Testimony mm-hmm. Podcast. It's great to have you as our guest for this episode. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be with you. So I want to start by asking you if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, about your background, mm-hmm. upbringing, um, maybe calling to ministry, some stuff about you. Sure. So I am uh, currently residing in Nashville, Tennessee, in the United States, and I have for 10 years now been serving as senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church and I've been married to my wife, Patty, for 27 years, and we have a 24-year-old who just got married. Her name is Abigail, and uh, we also have a 19-year-old named Ellie who's in college as a sophomore, a second-year college student. And I, um, I came into ministry at just about the same time that I was converted to Christianity, and I was... uh, Oh, about a year away from graduating college, and uh, I was what you could call an Ecclesiastes kid, where um, had had a fairly charmed uh, life and upbringing up to that point, and uh, just a lot of things seemed to go well uh, in my life, whether it was with academics or uh, I was an athlete, uh, you know, with athletics and sports and friendships and everything else. And, and yet found uh, that my life um, really felt most of the time as if it didn't have much meaning. And, uh, and so it was a bit of an existential crisis, because I thought I've got a million reasons to be a happy young mm-hmm. man, and I'm not. And uh, it was at that season of life that uh, some uh, Christian men who I also attended college together with uh, just became a, a more regular part of my life. And I went through a bit of a, a crisis. There was actually a, a young woman that I was uh, talking about uh, getting married to with her, and she uh, made a decision without my consent uh, that that was not going to happen. And, and so that sent me into a, a bit of a, a depression and a, 
an emotional crisis of sorts. And uh, as God often does, he put just the right friends in my life at just the right time. And, and they started bringing me into environments where, where people would talk about Jesus Christ and, and the meaning and purpose that comes from, you know, following a crucified and resurrected Lord and savior. And uh, it took, and, and uh, right about that time, uh, not long after that at all, uh, I started to, you know, ask the professional questions, right? Because I was about mm -hmm. to graduate from, from college and you need a job and I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life. And, and uh, I was very intrigued by uh, people in vocational ministry and they just tended to be the people that I wanted to be like and that I wanted to live lives like theirs and uh, the one problem uh, that that I that was facing me at the time was that I had always gotten paralyzed by public speaking, and uh, I was just oh, okay. so afraid to speak in front of groups of people, and so that was a hurdle that needed to be overcome. And and ironically, the other area of, of my academic life that I, that had always struggled was writing, uh, uh, okay. you know, particularly. Would get writer's block anytime you know we were assigned an essay or or something of the sort. I, I just wouldn't have anything to say. And so, the great irony now at age you know fifty four is is that those are the two things I do professionally as I speak publicly and I write. And and so uh, God gets all the all the credit for that. And and I'm just thankful to get to do what wow. I get to do. But um, but yes, I did not grow up in a in a home that was centered around the gospel or the Bible or, or life in the local church or anything of the sort. It was, you know, more or less a secular, uh, you know, household uh, that was focused on secular things. And, mm -hmm. and so didn't really get the introduction to, to Christ until a little bit later in my life. Okay. So let's talk about your <laughs> encounters with Christ then and your, your relationship with the Lord. Um, can you share with us then some examples, some some points in your life where you have mm -hmm. felt that Christ has been particularly close to you, a close companion to you? Particularly close, uh, and I, I've, I've actually written a good bit about this, uh, has been during uh, a handful, but one particular season of uh, deep anxiety and depression. And uh, that was uh, about a six-month period uh, when we lived in New York City, uh, which I didn't, I didn't offer in the introduction, but I, I served at um, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, where Tim Keller was uh, as well at the time, uh, who I you know, looked to, to as uh, not only a friend, but a mentor and, and just somebody I look up to greatly. I'm sure some of your listeners at least would know who Tim is, but um, yeah. yeah. It was during those years, I just, uh, you know, for, a, for about a six-month period of time, uh, I was so depressed that I, I had a hard time eating, uh, I had a hard time getting out of bed, um, and ironically, even though I, I wanted to stay in bed all the time, I couldn't sleep, and so I had, mm -hmm. you know, this horrible insomnia, and uh, it was just a, a very low point in my life, and had never been through anything like it before. And the way that, um, that Jesus made himself known and drew near to me uh, in a very you know, precious and memorable way was in two ways. One was uh, through the companionship 
and love and loyalty of my wife and my my brother, both of whom had been through similar seasons in their uh, in their past as well, and who had walked that road. And as as you know, and as as your listeners know, um, uh, there's just something about having another person enter into our pain points who have experienced those same pain points and, you know, to let us know how they got through it and especially where God was in that whole picture. That was just a wonderful reminder that, that, you know, there are others who have made it through this, uh, what felt like an abyss at the time. And uh, it's very strange. uh, It's very strange, Andy, how close I felt to Christ during that season, because uh, there were really no scriptures that um, that I felt like I could really cling to, except one sentence from one of the Psalms, and I can't even remember which Psalm it was. I think it's somewhere in the seventies, where it talks about how Christ was near as we walked through the waters. I presume that's a reference back to the Exodus event. Uh, it said, you know, you you were you were near uh, as we as we passed through the waters, even though your footsteps were unseen, mm-hmm. and uh, that that unseen language really resonated with me deeply and made um, the invisible realities of a crucified, you know, suffering servant in Jesus, you know, despised and rejected by men, the punishment that brought us peace was laid upon him and all the rest from, from the suffering servant narratives in, in Isaiah 53. That became real to me, um, uh, maybe in a similar way that it became real to Isaiah, because Isaiah never got to see any of the things that he wrote about. It was all, you know, written by faith, written by the foresight that the Holy Spirit had given him. He'd lived such a horrible miserable life from a circumstantial perspective. And yet he had all this, this hope. And, uh, and so that Psalm connected the dots for me with Isaiah 53, that, Mm. that Christ was humiliated and, and down and out and, and, you know, chose that path of suffering and that suffering of course led to glory and resurrection and all the rest. But he is also the Savior who cries, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" Mm. Um, you know, to his own father, to to mm. the you know second member of the Trinity, crying out to the first member of the Trinity, person of the Trinity, and 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 so that one psalm about the unseen footsteps just made all of those realities about Christ, mm. the suffering servant, and Christ, the resurrected Lord. You know, sort of that dance between Good Friday and Easter, or between suffering and glory, or you know, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies it abides alone but if it it goes into the ground and dies it bears much fruit and Mm. and so so i don't know i I felt a real nearness to to the reality of christ in that season of my life where it was harder to see him than any other Mm. season of life the the irony of that but but that would have been one uh you know, experience where I felt very close to Christ. There's one more that I can, I can recall as well, but I, I don't know if you have any follow-up comments or anything on uh, you um, know, finding Christ in the dark. Well, I mean, I, I personally, I find this a really fascinating topic. And I think one of the really compelling things about Christ is that he is undoubtedly qualified by any standard mm. to be a companion in suffering. Yes. 
you know, I haven't had a very terrible life, but there have been points where it's been that kind of suffering. And actually, and mm-hmm. even that kind of forsakenness, you know, I went through a phase where, I, where I, I felt forsaken by God and Christ had to show me that he had gone through some kind of forsakenness himself mm-hmm. on the cross. You know, it, whatever you're going through, Christ has been there and, and, and more than that, and he is interested and is alongside. So for me, that's a whole, there's a whole bunch of stuff in that that I find really compelling and really when I'm talking to people on this podcast and to the people who are listening whatever you are going through Christ understands the suffering and has been there he's not a remote god he's not mm-hmm. just keeping a scorecard he has been on earth yeah. and felt the nails and you know yes. blood has been spilt and that whole deal yes and he's been there so for me that's a very compelling kind of theme Agree. Uh, What does it say in Hebrews? Uh, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with Mm. our weaknesses, but was tested, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. It's a pretty wonderful thing. I I can't think of any other world religions or philosophies that offer us that kind of sympathy from uh you know from the founder of of you know said religion or the the main voices of you know a certain philosophical perspective i just uh, you know sympathy and empathy all you know bundled up in yeah in the person and work of christ it's it's quite yeah, wonderful i think it's for those who choose to to spend the time or have the capacity to reflect on it and reflection is really important i think yes to actually be able to reflect in one's own life on the reality of christ's intentional suffering alongside us in that real pain to me it's like yes okay that's it doesn't ne- it doesn't in a way negate negate it or, ne- or lessen it mm-hmm. but it is a companion it literally is you know somebody alongside you in yes. it and that's that's the heart of what i'm trying to get to with this podcast really i suppose mm-hmm. is, is is to explore that not just those but you know also moments of gloriousness mm-hmm. and and enjoyment of christ and and you know success if you want to call it in yeah. a sense that but certainly as well, those moments where people have been, you know, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. And knowing that Christ has said those very words as well. Yes. I mean, I, I, I don't know how many people uh, have this reality dawn on them. You know, people who read the Bible and immerse themselves in, you know, the life of God and the life of the church especially in the Western world where, um, you know, suffering feels like, um, you know, feels like it, it's unusual to the human experience, unlike mm. 70%, the other 70% of the world, uh, you know, for whom suffering is just a daily assumption and, and a daily uh, reality that, that, that um, you don't question. Um, but I wonder how many of us realize that, uh, almost every single book of the Bible was written by somebody at the time of its writing who was a slave uh, or was imprisoned uh, or, uh, you know, facing violence and persecution mm. Uh, mm. and awaiting their own death by, mm. by execution or, um or exiled to mm. know, Babylon or to Assyria, the Bible came to us from those experiences. The, mm. the whole Bible almost was written from that perspective. And, 
you know, one of the one of the shining exam one of the shining exceptions to that is Ecclesiastes, where the man has the whole world is at his fingertips. He's got money. He's got you know houses and pools and gardens and and all the rest. And and he says it's all vapor. It, it, you know, it's I can't find meaning in all of these things. Yeah. And and yeah. and you know, so even the one whose life is is going so swimmingly is is suffering on the inside because it's none of it's delivering to him what, what all these luxuries promise. And, and, and so, you know, I think the more we understand that, that suffering is normative for the people of God, Mm. you know, that might make it easier to, uh, you know, at least for us to open our hearts to what Christ might have to say to us in in the midst of it. I think it's an, it's an important truth, hard to learn because we don't want to know in, we don't really worry about it, but it is true. Mm-hmm. So do you want to share that other example of Christ as a close companion to you that you mentioned a few oh, minutes ago? Absolutely. Okay. So two two experiences actually mm, together. Yeah. <laughs> the two experiences that sort of run together because they 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 both gave me the same experience of being close to Christ, and, and they were both experiences of wonder that left me uh, a bit speechless. And one was uh, the birth of our first child. And, and mm. I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just about any parent who has witnessed or been part of the birth, especially their first child, you know, there, there's, there's just this sense of wonder at, at, at how, how could I possibly look at this kind of experience and think that there is not a personal God behind all of it. It, it, it. it was just this amazing existential experience. How do we account for, mm. you know, fingerprints and eyeballs and the five senses and, you know, taste and touch and, and toenails, you know, all, all the rest, like who would have, how could all of this just have, have happened through some spontaneous combustion of the universe uh, for the human being to be so intentional and so so perfectly put together, fearfully and wonderfully put together, mm. as, as the mm. Psalms say. Yeah. And so, so for me, that um, you know, a lot of things in my life have confirmed for me the existence of God and the reality of God. But that's super confirmed the mm. existence and reality of God. And the other, the other experience, interestingly was when the words of an atheist uh, astronomer, Carl Sagan, were Mm. read to me uh, that put the smallness of planet Earth uh, in perspective in in contrast with the vastness of the universe. And ironically, this statement from, I I believe Carl Sagan's an atheist, um, but he said this about planet Earth, which as far as as I understand it, is the only place that that life has been discovered in the universe, that organic life has been discovered in the whole vast universe. And so just to set it up, there's this picture uh, which is taken from a a very, very distant um, satellite of Mm. planet Earth suspended in, in one narrow beam of what we call the sun. And it's this tiny, tiny, the earth is this tiny, tiny little dot in in the middle of this sunbeam, right? And 
Here's what Carl Sagan says about it. He says, look at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. So how does that uh, you know, make me feel close to God and confirm his existence? I, I mean, we, we have all of these books and archives of what we call history, right? Uh, and the volumes that, 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 that tell of the, the things that hap- have happened through the human race and otherwise on this planet of ours that we call home are, are immeasurable. There are so many volumes. Uh, and, and for all of, of history as we know it to have happened on what, you know, from the cosmic perspective, uh, looks like this insignificant little spot, you know, in what most astronomers would call an insignificant galaxy revolving around a very insignificant star relative to all the other stars. And yet the earth is, is the place where, where, you know, the Bible says that's the theater that God has chosen mm-hmm. uh, to perform his work and to send his son and, and to create man and woman in the image of God and, you know, water, earth, and sky, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Right. So what the, what the, what the scriptures present to us is something majestic and vast from the cosmic perspective, it's very, very tiny and small. And, 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 and so what, what really draws me to Christ in that is that he would, he would go out of his way to, to, to make the point that he does not despise small things by taking one of the smallest, least significant, you know, little things in the universe that he created. That's always expanding. It's still expanding. Uh, and yet the earth is his chosen place to, to, to play out, you know, the story of God and, and then to tell about it through the scriptures and through the, the coming of Christ and all the rest. And so that may be a strange, you know, answer to the question, what makes you feel, you know, close to Christ, but the smallness of the earth and the vastness mm. of the universe and, mm. and that he still, you know, calls us and knows us by name is, is, uh, mm. I, I'm not sure I can handle much more than that. It's 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 so wonderful. There is something about that kind of overwhelming intimacy of it, isn't there? That yes. Christ Jesus, as you say, like the pale blue dot, and mm-hmm. the and the people made in the image of God that live on this mm-hmm. tiny planet, and the individual, not just the whole race as a kind of homogenous blob, but an individual that is unique and made in the image of God and loved by yes. God, and that's. In a way, for me, that's a kind of like everybody should try and plant that deep in their hearts yeah. as, a, as a kind of security against the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, the terrors of, of life. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's good. I, I love it. That's great. Um, are there any other ones that you want to share or, or 
do you want to just leave it at those ones? I mean, I, I could keep going. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I marvel all the time that, that, that I get to do what I get to do. Uh, cause I'm, <laughs> I'm the biggest mess that I know. And, and, <laughs> you know, here I am, you know, getting to write and speak about what I believe to be, mm-hmm. you know, the greatest, the greatest thing that ever happened, uh, that, God sent his son into the world to, to live and to die and to rise from the dead and make all things new. It's just, mm. um, you know, pretty, pretty special. And, and some days pretty unbelievable that I get to get to be part of that in a small way. And yet here you are. Here we are. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah. So, well, well, maybe what we could do then just think about this is maybe we could spend a few minutes. I could pick up on one or two of the points uh, that you talk about in your forthcoming book, uh, the title of which, well, certainly the first part of the title of which intrigued me. So this, I think it's something like beautiful people don't just happen, which, which is a really intriguing title. Uh, I, th- I think the whole thing is beautiful people don't just happen, how God redeems regret, hurt, and fear in the making of better humans. I think that's correct. So right. I wondered, and this may actually touch on some of the stuff that we've been been talking about. I wonder if you could tell us, why you chose that title and what what the what the spirit is behind that title so that uh the title the first part of the title beautiful people don't just happen is actually uh pulled from a a quote by elizabeth kubler ross who is a grief expert i'm not sure if she uh, had a faith commitment or not but she uh, had a lot of insightful things to say about the grieving process, and and you know that that statement that beautiful people don't just happen is is a bit of a punchline to a, a longer statement that she's making about how the most substantial, substantive, deep, authentic, uh, wise people that that she's ever known are people who have been through. The valleys and mm. um, and have emerged from those valleys with a wisdom that that can only be formed and a and a beauty and a and a and a sympathy and a compassion that can only be formed having gone through uh, those valleys and and so it's just pulled from it's pulled from that quote beautiful people don't just happen and the publisher really loved that as a title they felt like it captured you know the message of of a book that that is really about three pain points for human beings. The pain point of regret, of of wishing we could go back in time and change decisions we've made, words that we've said, things that we've done that that we find regrettable. And there is guilt and there's shame and things of, of that sort, you know, damaged relationships that are associated with it. And then the second pain point would be hurt, uh, which would just be the the byproduct of living in a fallen world. Everybody on some level has experienced, you know, betrayal relationally, or you know, has gotten a diagnosis that was discouraging or defeating, or has been addicted to to something, or you know, what have you. There are all kinds of there's many hurts as there are human people, mm-hmm. human beings, and human lives. And then fear or 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 worry, um, you know, meditating on hypothetical uh, future worst case scenarios, and so um, so the book really is an attempt to to pastor through the writing process to pastor people 
who are carrying one or more of those three burdens. But the title, you know, I, I think is, uh, you know, a, a big piece of it, that, that there's an end game, that God has an end game uh, for the process of, you know, going through and enduring and abiding and living with things like regret, hurt, and fear is to shape us and to form us through those, those hard realities into the likeness of Christ, into, you know, what some would call the, the very best and most life-giving versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we think of, you know, some of the greatest artists like, uh, like, a, like a Vincent van Gogh, um, you know, what, you know, we, we was, you know, the classic case of, of what people call the tortured artists, right. Um, you know, whether you're talking about the best music or, or the best, you know, paintings or sculpture, um, it's a very, very common theme among people who create, uh, things that are beautiful, that they have some sort of trauma or some sort of um, disorientation that they that they live with that, that that's actually been part of of the process of birthing beautiful things and mm-hmm. and and it's you know it's almost as if if those best parts of us are a microcosm of what happens on Holy Week, right? Where you have to deal with and contend with death and betrayal and destruction in, you know, in the, the passion of the Christ, right? And then there's this silent period of, of a couple of days where everybody's disoriented, one ain't run, wondering what just happened to, you know, the, the man that they thought was the answer to all of their fears. And then boom, Easter Sunday, you know, he, he, rises from the dead and mm. promises to make all things new and and assures us that the first chapter of our real lives hasn't even begun yet that we're still living in the prologues as mm. cs lewis famously said in mm. in his uh, narnia chronicles and and so you know the book is really an effort to instill hope in in the lives of people who go through these very common struggles of, mm. of regret, hurt, and fear, mm. and, and to know that, that God's intention for us is not just to get us through those things, but to form us and shape us into what Ephesians 2 calls uh, poetry. Uh, you are God's workmanship. The Greek word for that is poema, which, which we get our word okay. poem from, yes. from that word. Yeah. And, and you know, the way he forms us is, is through that that process of, of refining. And, and so, um, it's, you know, it's really a book about not wasting our Ecclesiastes realities uh, as it were, but, but recognizing that, that God really does have marvelous purposes mm. and marvelous intent through the, those parts of our lives that we, that we often find ourselves wishing away. Um, so. Okay. So I, I, I noticed that one of the things you talk about, which I also think is really fascinating and actually something that in our faith we need to reclaim, and that's lament. Um, Mm. So I think Mm -hmm. you mentioned lament. And I've had, and I can think of one other particular person who I've I've spoken to on this podcast in the past and possibly others about the, the utility of lament and the preciousness of it and how Mm -hmm. it is neglected. So, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear your perspective on what, lament is and why it might be useful for us in these difficult times oh my goodness there are so many so many angles you could you could approach that question from what is lament uh, lament is um 
agreement with what God says about the world and about creation and about our lives. Uh, Romans 8, all creation groans. Mm. Uh, all creation has been made subject to futility. Uh, or, you know, going back to Genesis, through, subject to a curse. Uh, relationships uh, have a curse hanging over them. Work has a curse hanging over it. Um, you know, all of life, uh, especially the best parts of life, uh, involve anticlimax, right? Because, you know, like, like the cynics say, all good things come to an end. Well, they, they do and they don't. Um, but, uh, you know, I just think of, uh, you know, the existentialist philosophers, right? I, I think they, you know, the, the Nietzsche's and the Camus and the Sartre's and, and, and the others who are so keenly dialed in uh, with, with, with such a raw, bold honesty about the difficulty of things, of, of, of how hard it is to live our lives in human skin and, and mm. Um, mm. you know, to, to daily get up and face the realities of, of being in a fallen world. Um, and yet the existentialist philosophers miss the other side of it. Uh, it's, it's as if, it's as if we're living uh, as if every day is Good Friday, uh, right? Mm. Where every every day is about you know death and sorrow and decay and destruction, and as the Ecclesiastes writer says, you know vapor, um, uh, meaninglessness. It's it's all empty uh, until uh, you get to resurrection and and the hope of the gospel and the promises of of how Christ, the risen Savior. Uh, is even now in the process of beginning to make all things new and, you know, about how, you know, if the promises of scripture are true and if, if Christ coming up from the dead really is the first fruits of what's going to happen to, to us as his people and then following us all of creation. Uh, and, and again, back to, you know, Lewis's Narnia, you know, life will become as an everlasting spring where, you know, every day you feel younger than the day before. Every day you feel stronger than you did the day before, uh, with no end. Uh, you know, infinite days of, 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 of everlasting progress and everlasting momentum. Um, you know, what a contrast to 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 life in a fallen world. But lament is, you know, the 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 proper expression of human emotion while we are caught between Eden and the new heaven and the new mm. earth. Mm. Um, you know, theologians call it, you know, the not yet of the already mm. and the not yet. Mm. And, um, you know, we lament that that paradise has been lost through, mm. through the fall of Adam and Eve and, and how we have all inherited, um, you know, the, the, the effect of that and how we contribute uh, continually to the um, to the effect of that. And, and we also long for the home that we've been made for uh, of the new heaven and the new earth uh, that we haven't seen yet. Uh, we, we smell it, we, we, we sense it, and yet, and yet we're not home yet. Uh, and, and, and so lament is this, this proper expression of longing. And mm. so I've been doing a lot of work in the last couple of years with, with a um, you know, a, a counselor or, or a therapist uh, here in, in the United States who 
specializes on, on what he calls the eight core human emotions. And seven of the eight emotions are emotions that we would associate with distress or sadness or really wow. or pain. Um, wow. You know, the, the, the emotions of, uh, let's see if I can list them off, uh, guilt, shame, hurt, uh, loneliness, um, anger, fear. Um, and there's one more, you know, hurt emotion. And then there's only one positive in the mix, gladness, uh, or what, what the Bible would call joy. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's dawned on me not long ago, how kind it is of God to have given us a, such a diversity of lament related mm. emotions to mm. be able to, to sort of exhale mm. the, 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 um, the tragedy of living in a fallen mm. world, to be able to exhale it, to be able to express it, right? Um, because, you know, the, the, it's not complete, uh, just like joy, it, it's not complete until we express it somehow. Uh, so, and the Psalms are filled with those expressions. So do you, do you think, therefore, based on what you just said, that we should not see those emotions as a bad thing, but rather they're good because they help us to process or express mm -hmm. those difficulties. The the the, yes. the the hard emotions that you've explained that you've mentioned there that you've listed off uh, are almost like tools that are maybe tools isn't quite the right word, but you know they they, they helped us to mm -hmm. express where we're at, how we are. They help us to express it to God, I guess. Yes. Yes, in the Psalms, uh, I mean, just yeah. taking a journey yeah. through those 150 prayers that the <laughs> Lord inspired for our use, um, you know, all of those emotions are there, you know, out mm -hmm. of the depths, you know, why so downcast, so my soul, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Yeah. There's, there's yeah. all of those expressions, and there's, there's you know, spontaneous expressions of delight and, and joy mm -hmm. and wonder based on who God is, and, and based on you know, the beauty of the universe, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. And so it's, it's this dance back and forth between gladness and, and then the lament emotions, you, you could call them. And, mm. you know, it, it's especially there in the Psalms of David, uh, mm. who I think was one of the, who lived more fully than, than just about anybody else in scripture besides Jesus. You know, he was a man who learned what it meant to live fully in um, you know, what my, my friend that I was just telling you about to live fully in a tragic place is what he says. And mm. to live fully in a tragic place, we have to be able to express lament, right? But, but yeah. we in the West, we don't like that. We even talk about emotions as if they're bad things, as if emotions are negative things. Um, when emotions are, th are, are, are things that God has given us, uh, you know, as, as, as a resource to process the life that, mm. that we're mm. living. And, mm. you know, I think where we get in trouble is when we get into the unhealthy expression of emotions, right? Like, like take anger. Uh, anger has catalyzed so many of the world's most important movements. You know, here in the American West, the civil rights movement, for instance, was, was triggered by you know, anger at, at, at the way certain people were uh, treated 
in inhumane ways by by other people or you know we get angry when we when we hear about abuse uh and or or about corporate theft or you know things that that damage communities and individuals we get rightly angered uh in the same way that Jesus got angry and flip tables in the temple, or he got angry mm. at the scribes and the Pharisees for putting huge burdens on on the backs of of people mm. who were seeking God. You know, so so righteous anger is always seeking to attack problems, whereas raging anger, which is the unhealthy expression, attacks people. And mm. um, you know, righteous anger has the effect of leaving things better. Raging anger has the effect of leaving things worse. And mm. and mm. and I think you could say that about the healthy and unhealthy expressions of every type of emotion. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's yeah. associated with lament. It, it can it can lead to it can have fruitful outcomes or it can have hurtful outcomes. And you know, whether or not the expression of those emotions is healthy or unhealthy will determine the fruit. Uh, so the book that you've written here, which is drawing on all of those ideas and looking at lament and whatever mm-hmm. is going to guide us through to, I think what you call the secret of contentment, which I'm, I'm guessing doesn't mean this is where everything, all your problems go away. There's no more problems. Mm. That, it's not about, mm. but there's no more problems, but, but being yes. content within any circumstance, I guess yes. that's, that's where you're kind of going to give us the, the means to kind of get to that place. Well, I'm trying. I try to. I, I hope it's a resource that can help some people yeah. with that. But, uh, but yeah, that's pulling language from Paul and Philippians. Sure. And and interestingly, yeah. Paul says, and you know, we 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 often associate that because he writes it from prison. We think, well, Paul's saying he's learned to you know be content. He's learned the secret of being content when things are really hard, and that's certainly part of the application. But he says, I want you to know that I've learned the secret of living. Uh, uh, I've learned the secret of contentment while living in want, you know, when things Mm -hmm. aren't going well. And I've learned the secret of contentment while living in plenty. Mm. Uh, And in other words, interesting point. Yeah. Right. I have a secret that the Ecclesiastes writer, uh, you know, might benefit from uh, or or people who identify (laughs) with the guy who wrote Ecclesiastes might, might resonate with, or might be helped by. And so, so yeah, you know, Paul is, He's a great inner life sage, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we're kind of come to a close now, but is there is there anything you want to share with us? It's like a kind of here's one nugget of wisdom I'm going to give you guys as 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 we finish. Well, I'll give away the end of of the book, okay. um, <laughs> which is uh, it's just a very hopeful thought to me. Um, mm. You know, we all, you know, because we live in a, a fallen world that is filled with opportunities for lament. Yeah, you know, it's hard to think about a future without worst case scenarios in mind, right? And this is this is something I preach on Easter, and I'll be, you know, as we record this, Easter Sunday is coming up. Mm. And yeah, we're in Easter week right now. Aren't we? That's so, yeah. right. Yeah. The resurrection uh, changes everything, including. Uh, our perspective on worst case scenarios, because for every Christian who is tethered to Jesus Christ by faith in in the finished work of Christ and his life, death, burial, and resurrection and coming return, every Apostles' Creed believing, Nicene Creed affirming uh, Christian, uh, your long-term worst 
case scenario is resurrection and everlasting life. That's as bad as it can get a hundred years from now and a thousand years from now. It, it will not be any worse than resurrection and everlasting life. And, and you know, I, I, I often wonder, Andy, if we had the perspective of, of you know, back to that pale blue dot picture, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, that little, little picture of earth compared to the vastness of the universe, suddenly this thing that feels huge to us, planet earth looks very, very small. And I, I think that's also something that can be said about the span of our own lives, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say we get 70 or 80 years, um, which feels very big. Um, and yet it's just a speck uh, mm. relative to mm. the life that, that is eternal, that God has said that he has given us. And in the ultimate sense, all of the suffering and betrayal and hardship and fear and sleepless nights that we experience relative to the rest of the life that God has given us will be as a speck, you know, as we sing in amazing grace, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright, yeah. shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And, and so um, that eternal perspective uh, is, is something mm -hmm. else and something I hope that especially <clears throat> every, every Christian can lay hold of, mm -hmm. especially in the face of lament. Mm -hmm. The best is yet to come, I guess. That's right. Excellent. Okay. I think that's a good moment to uh, to draw this to a close. So, Scott, thank you very much for your time. It's been great to talk to you. Great to kind of reflect on these things. Um, and um, so people want to find out more about you or the book or, or maybe Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. um, how do they do that? Uh, they can just go on, you know, their favorite uh, web browser and do a search. We, uh, I have a website uh, where I, I write a weekly blog uh, okay. people can subscribe to and all the information about the books and also about the church. I, I uh, have the privilege of serving is all there, but that's scottsalls.com. It's just my name.com okay. or uh, for Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. Uh, it is Christ Pres. Pres is short for Presbyterian, P-E-R-S. Christpres.org is our church website. Cool. Okay. Thanks very much indeed, Scott. Great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Testimony Podcast. You can subscribe to the show on all of the major podcast distributors and also follow us on Twitter at TestimonyCast. If you want to find out more about the Christian faith and connect with someone to talk about your experiences or answer your questions, just go to www.christianity.org.uk from wherever you are in the world. You can also contact us by email at thetestimonycast at gmail.com. That's thetestimonycast at gmail.com. I look forward to sharing more of the stories that matter from people of faith with you soon. Until then, thank you for listening and God bless you.